You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 351. Hey, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the show. I am so looking forward to this. This is going to be the weirdest show that I think we've ever done, but not because of our guests. We have Scott and Nicole Brady on the show. Hey guys, how are you doing? Great, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing really well. This is a weird show because Anitra and I are not in the same place for this recording, which is Yeah, normal. it feels weird. It's very, very strange, but at least I get to see you, so I don't mind. <laughs> but we have scott and nicole on the show because uh gosh um they're awesome they do amazing stuff i feel like they've set the bar for like family weight reviews and stuff like that and i've been looking up to them for a really long time in Mm -hmm. basically every way and i think we'll talk about all of those second half of the show but uh i'm super excited to have you guys on oh thanks for having us i'm super humbled by your comments that's all really awesome (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's true. Um, All right, but uh, who are we? We are the Family Gamers. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. And on episode 351, I have not one but two facts. Anitra and I hail from not the state of Massachusetts, but the Commonwealth Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Massachusetts. I think there are two Commonwealths left technically in the United States. I think it's Massachusetts and Virginia, maybe. But um, yeah, so there are 351 cities and towns in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Hmm. So I've, I've been waiting on that one for a little while. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a fun little 351 fact. Another one, and I do this every once in a while, species, turtle. We all know of turtles. And we can think of like box turtle or like snapping turtle or sea turtle. There are 351 different species of turtle. Wow. Yes, it's a lot Across of turtles. Fourteen families of turtles. So uh, that's a lot of cousins. But oh, so that probably anyway. includes all kinds of tortoises and stuff. Yeah, like that too. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. But anyway, so those are my facts for our episode number three hundred fifty-one. And now a message from our sponsor. As a reminder, First Move is letting us know how they would work with a young family earning a combined hundred thousand dollars with a net worth of about twenty-five thousand dollars and the goal of buying a home. When preparing to buy your first home, there's a lot to learn and what usually feels like very little time to do it. The main thing you want to have a good handle on is what you can afford for a monthly payment. The easiest way to make sure you can afford your estimated payment is to try it out. Take the difference between your rent and your expected payment and put that into savings. Next, you need to make sure that your credit is in good shape. You can pull your credit reports for free from annualcreditreport.com to see what potential creditors will see when they pull your credit. Start making progress paying down existing debts. Dispute any debts that aren't yours. Then, when you're ready, you can take a first-time homebuyer's course, start talking to a realtor, and begin to determine the next steps on your home ownership journey. If this or any of the other questions we've talked about with our hypothetical family sound familiar, Head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and set up a time to chat to ask your questions directly. 
Well, thank you, Nitra. And thank you to First Move Financial for sponsoring another episode of the show. At this point in the show, it is time for us to talk about some games that we've been playing. Scott and Nicole, I'm sure you've been playing some games. Tell me about some games you've been playing. Oh, we're always playing games, of course. But lately, we've been focusing on uh, playing some older games. Uh, we've been playing Space Base. It's one that uh, we've been able to introduce some, uh, some non-gamers to the hobby. And that's just a really easy one, especially if they're familiar with games like Crafts. It has a lot of the same concepts. And it's just been really a, a good way to introduce them. And you learn as you play. That's one that's been hitting the table more often than not. Yeah, we, I mean, obviously we started with Machikoro, right? Like that's the foundational tableau builder. And then we went in the Valeria Card Kingdom's direction. So I've actually never played Space Space, but I feel like I really should. Yes. Yeah, I, I was going to admit that I have also never actually played it. Wow. Yeah, I, know, right. I know. It's one of those Shameful. keep meaning to and just kind of not getting around to it. Right. right that's your homework. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> He just called you all. He did. <laughs> I, oh my gosh. That is not, that is not what I meant. <laughs> it's just the mom voice is all it is. <laughs> I think what we've been playing most is every Sunday we get together with a group and play. We play through all of Gloomhaven and now we're working our way through Frosthaven. So we've nice. got a, a weekly group of four people, Nicole and myself, and then um, two of our friends who come over and will play one to two scenarios on a weekend, just enough to take a couple hours and then, but not so much that you get tired of it. So we're slowly making our way through those campaigns. Cool. I picked up, actually, I think it was the last time I saw you guys, Tantrum Con, I picked up a copy of Jaws of the Lion to play with my son. Yep. If you ever Got have the, the free time to I do know, that. I know, yeah. I know, I know. But hopefully we'll get through that. Well, hopefully we'll start that at some point. <laughs> and then once well, we start it, hopefully we get through it. So. <laughs> well, why don't you talk about one of the games that you have been playing? Yeah. So I got a copy of this game. It's called Running Out of Time. Have you guys heard about this? This is from Jay Cormier. I know you've heard of, I know you know who Jay is. Yeah. I know who Jay is. Yeah. So this is a game that I like, I think it's coming to crowdfunding. I think that's the plan for this. I mean, Jay does all the, like the fail faster stuff and all that, like really neat stuff wrapped around game design like the meta game of game design kind of thing and that's exactly what running out of time is so running out of time is a narrative game where i don't think i'm spoiling anything but at the beginning of the game the two protagonists go back in time unexpectedly or i guess they go forward in time at least at the beginning and they're trying to get back to their time and the way that this happens narratively is by you playing games so it's got it's a, literally it's a flip book that you open kind of like, you know, a lot of games now where like you open it and you read some stuff on the page and then you play on the next page kind of thing. So it's kind of like that. But the thing that's really interesting about this is like when you start off, the first game is like this very simple roll and move game. But then when you flip to the next page, it's this whole like four page thing about game design and player agency and how you didn't have player agency in that first basic game. And what kind of changes could you make to this game and then go back and play it again, where you feel like you're making it a better game, making it not a kind of a boring roll and move game. And so the mechanics of the game itself are teaching you how to design a better board game. And as you go along, you play games in the book that are kind of broken and you have to fix them. So it's a really cool thing. And since both my son and I have kind of dabbled in some game design, I thought it was a really cool thing. So when Jay was looking for people to take a look at it, I kind of jumped on it. And um, and we played a couple of different sessions. 
with the first game where I kind of let Asher, our 12 year old, come up with the changes that he wanted to make. And I kind of would ask, you know, okay, well, if if we do this, then how is this going to affect that? Whatever. So it's been a really kind of cool experience to play that with him. Oh, that's cool. So I've seen Jay talk about it online on Facebook, but I really didn't have any idea what the game was about, just that he was going to be demoing it at Gen Con and setting up, not play tests, but, you know, just trying out kind of things ahead of the Kickstarter. So yeah, and you know, I mean, I think that, you know, as a game designer, you know, you'll play it and you'll be like, okay, I see what you're doing here, but I I don't know how much you're going to get out of this game, but maybe a younger aspiring game designer, maybe someone who's like, the idea of designing a game is a cool thing they're the ones who are really going to get something out of this. Right. And the cool thing about it is it really literally does start with a roll and move game. So it, it starts as about as basic as you can get and starts to just layer elements on top of that. So it's a really neat way to bring someone into a totally different aspect of board games than just your typical Candyland, whatever. <laughs> right. It almost sounds half board game, half role playing in a way. Yeah. I mean, it kind of is because the thing that I really thought was neat about it is it is very open-ended. It's not like you have to make a certain change in order to progress the story. It's make the change you want to make and see if it makes the game more interesting. Hmm. You know? So I thought that was really cool. That sounds cool. What about you, Anitra? Well, since you abandoned me, uh, I have been oh playing. My gosh. <laughs> Okay. No, not really. So hold on. All the since moms I'm, that are no, 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 no. You, you went there. All the moms. Oh, I want fine. you to know that I took our daughter away, and Anitra that didn't dropped, sound any better. Anitra <laughs> dropped our sons off at camp, so she gets a week alone. <laughs> I, I'm not alone. I have 28 hours of driving, <laughs> and I'm spending it cooped up in a hundred square feet with my daughter, which is actually not that bad. But if she's going to dump on me and say that I abandoned her, I'm going to point out <laughs> that she can play all the Tears of the Kingdom she wants to and eat all the bonbons that she wants to, and nobody is going to yell at her. I think I see a couple empty wine glasses behind me. <laughs> see? See? Now you're now you're picking up what I'm putting down, Scott. So yeah, I, I have been playing some Tears of the Kingdom. You're, you're not wrong. Uh, but, but for board games, being home alone is kind of hard. So I have been playing a lot of a game we have in for review that is an a solo game only uh, and that is river wild from button shy by steven aramini i am not entirely sure how i feel about this game yet steven aramini was one of the designers behind sprawlopolis and i definitely see some similar dna here like it's a tile laying game with a limited number of cards but the design is very very constrained and I always feel really uncomfortable about the choices that it has me make. (laughs) So you're basically following the path of a river. You start with a source and then every card you lay down continues the river. There are ways to fork it off and things, but you always have to continue the river. You always have to go downstream of another card you've already placed. And your goal is to use the river and occasionally the cards have mountains on them to kind of seal off these little protected lands or islands. You get points for having protected lands, and then you get points depending on the goals that you placed in those protected lands, which also look at the animals that have wound up in those protected lands. So every single card has a river down the middle, and then the land on one side will have an animal, and the land on the other side will have some kind of goal. And so you always have to make these decisions 
you're hardly ever going to be able to use both the animal and the goal on a given card. And you have to pick, am I going to do this one? Am I going to do that one? Oh, this one's not going to fit if I try to do it in this direction. So I have to do this other thing, even if it's not really what I want. Uh, You do have three cards at a time that you can choose from, which is good because I've definitely been in situations where I couldn't place one or two out of my three cards. But it's just really, really tight. And it took me uh, five or six times to get above the the scoring threshold of like, you no longer suck at this game. Because <laughs> it's one of those, it's got a scoring key on it with like five different categories. And the first four or five times I played, I was always in that lowest category. And I'm like, oh, come on. There's got to be a way to do this. It sounds like a puzzle. Sometimes those ones where you start off really bad are actually better. It's like playing a cooperative game and winning the first time. You just don't want to play it again. Yeah, it's not bad. I am enjoying the game, but I'm not sure even now, how I feel about always having to make these decisions of I can only use this or that because, I mean, you end up building kind of a pyramid. So that stuff on the outer edges is never, ever going to get used. And if you start with a bunch of cards where you're like, oh man, I want to use all of this stuff, you have to make these hard decisions and they're not necessarily satisfying at the end. Yeah, I think that satisfaction thing, that could be a problem. But at the same time, it's an 18 card solo game. (laughs) So, like, how long does a game take? So, technically, uh, the ones you actually get to play with, it's a 16-card solo game. Okay, well, whatever. So, (laughs) how how long does a game take? So, it takes no more than 15 minutes, probably closer to 10 minutes most of the time, which is part of how I've been able to play it so many times over the last couple of days. Yeah, all you people in a couple of weeks, when Anitra gives her monthly report, she's she's, uh, she's boosting (laughs) her stats. I'm going to have, like, 15 plays of Riverwild. (laughs) But, I mean, my point is, like, I understand what you're saying when you say that they're not necessarily satisfying decisions, but at the same time, it's a 15 minute game. So like, how satisfying do they have to be? Um, I get what you're saying, but it's sort of like, even with a 15 minute game, I want to look at what I have at the end and, and feel some sense of having accomplished something and having built something. Sure. And I'm not always getting that with this game. I'm getting better at it. So I'm I'm getting it more of the time, but I'm not, I'm not getting it every time. And that's that's frustrating in this kind of game. Like Sprawlopolis, I might not make a city that's good enough to, you know, meet my goal score. But I can always look at it and be like, oh, wow. Like, but I did this thing and this part's really cool. I did this thing and this part's really cool. And I still feel like I made something. And you feel like the, because the outside edges you're not able to fully utilize, there's just not enough cards to make that middle meaningful. Yeah, it's partly that, okay. and it's partly the kinds of decisions you get forced into. I've made islands that only have animals on them and no goals, and so I'm like, okay, I get two points because I have an island, and this <laughs> island scores me nothing else. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, I got in another play of Unmatched Teen Spirit. I got whooped by my daughter who played Ms. Marvel. Excellent. Yeah, I played Cloak and Dagger. Who I really like. They are a very balanced team. Uh, it's not like a main hero and a sidekick. They're both main heroes, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's a really interesting set. I'm really enjoying playing with them. I hadn't played with Cloak and Dagger before. I'd played with Squirrel Girl before. So really looking forward to playing more of that. And yeah, more of my game that I've been working on. We just got back from a cruise, just a vacation cruise. And this particular ship had an area called the Card Room which was a, a game. So they had tables that were set up like 
you know, they, they're basically like round poker tables, that kind of thing. And then they had a selection of games you could check out. And it was nothing, there was nothing there really that you would consider, you know, a modern board game or a hobby board game. You know, it was all stuff like, like sequence and monopoly and a trivia game and Yahtzee checkers, things sure. like that. Sure. Couple racks of mahjong tiles that people were checking out and playing. But what was interesting about it was, even though they didn't have any, there were we actually spotted quite a few people who brought their own onto the ship and then set up in there and played. So, you know, we saw Settlers of Catan, two copies of Exploding Kittens flying around, a couple other uh, hobby centric card games, you know, the small things that you'd carry on board, easy mm-hmm. to pack. I mean, so we would make a point of walking through the card room every once in a while just to see what different was being played and if we saw our people playing games. <laughs> you know, I totally understand that. Hobby games or something like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Really fun. I think awesome. one of the neatest experiences I saw was a, a family. It was a son and his dad and an uncle and a couple of friends, a couple of adult friends of the family all playing a D&D game that the son was running that he had learned about um, through Discord while uh, during the pandemic. And so he was playing with people all over the world. I think they were, they lived in New Zealand. I think yeah, said. yeah. And it was just neat to see him taking charge and leading it and, and the adults just following along and really joining in and embracing it. I, it was great to see that yeah. kind of leadership coming from kids through gameplay. It's awesome. Love I love stuff that. Like that. Yeah. All right, Anitra, you got one more for me? Well, since I would like to be a little bit more positive about a game, I'm not going to talk about Fika. <laughs> I thought you were feeling better about Fika, no? I am, but I'm still not feeling that great about it. So okay. instead, right. I will I will talk about another game that we played before uh, everybody left, which was Splito. Splitto looks kind of like a classic card game, not in terms of, you know, 52 card deck, but it's got that classically abstract card kind of look. Every card has a number and a color or it has some a kind of like on design it. on it almost looks like wrapping paper. Like that's yeah. the, what I thought of when I saw it. Yeah. But interestingly enough, this is a game that is, I guess I would call it semi-cooperative or shifting pair play. If you think of a game like Concept, where you've got two people working together to give the clues and everybody else is guessing, but because you're not always paired with the same person, you don't necessarily all have the same scores. Splito works a lot like that. You are building up these little collections of cards with the people on either side of you. And when all of the cards have been played out and you score your little collections, it's the person who does the best across both of their collections that they have access to. That's the winner. Like between two cities? Yeah, a little bit like that. This is one where the cards either have a number and a suit on them or they have a goal on them. And so, you know, one of those goals might be like, have the most sixes or have at least one of every number or have the fewest orange cards or whatever. But you're playing those and the other, the people next to you are taking that same benefit or penalty at the same time. Right, exactly. So it's a drafting game. It's a closed drafting game. So you look at your hand of cards, you pick one to play, you pick whether you're going to play it on your right or your left. And then once everybody has played their card, you take that hand of cards and pass it to the person on your left. So you're always seeing new cards, but also it can make it easy to grab certain kinds of things. You see a goal. I think when we played, one of the goals I saw was have the most fours. 
And so I played that down and every time more fours came by, like, oh, look, I'm just going to take these. I'm going to take them. I'm going to take them. So if people, you know, who weren't the person on my left, uh, if anybody else cottoned onto that, they only had maybe one chance to get a four if they needed it. Because once that hand of cards came to me, they weren't going to have access to that four anymore. One of the things I really like about Splito is that every decision feels like a positive decision for the players to your left and to your right. Because you're always playing something that's going to affect you, right? So you're always playing something that's in your best interests. But if you play it on your left, it's also helping the player to your left. And if you play it on your right, it's also helping the player on your right. And so, you know, if I'm sitting next to Anitra and she plays something into our common area... Be like, oh, thanks for playing that over here. And if she played it on the other side, I'd be like, whatever, like you need to win over there too. So it's a game that has positive feelings and not a lot of negative feelings, which I think is really good in a family setting because it's really easy to play a game where people have hurt feelings or they just get annoyed at each other. And like, yeah, you know, leave it at the table, blah, 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 all that stuff. But like also we're playing with kids and sometimes that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen with adults sometimes, too. But in a game like Splito, I really like the fact that every time one of those decisions is made, it feels like it's a universally positive decision because it's always going to be helping you. Like, you're not going to play a card to screw up one of your own goals. Why would you ever do that? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I suppose you could, but you would, you, you would have to you might really get hate someone. into it, but. Well, but yeah. that's different, but that's different, right? And then at the end of the game, you take the scoring value of each of the piles to either side of you and multiply them together, and that's your, your score. Right. So that's how everybody actually gets a different score, even though they're sharing these scoring piles with other people. So all of that, plus the fact it plays three to eight players. And the concept is so simple that you explain where you're at for a minute or so, and then you start playing and people pick up on it right away. I mean, we sat down to play it with five of us. None of us had ever played it before. And we all learned it right away got into playing that's really attractive in a game that's not you know not your typical party kind of game you can sit down with a relatively big group and get started right away yeah that's nice anytime you don't have to spend all your time trying to learn the game or rely on one person that did learn the game or setting it up or setting it up (laughs) yes yeah so we did recently announce that uh stephanie nye is coming on the family gamers as a reviewer so we've been talking with her about this game because she's got it as well I think we're going to do a co-review of this one. And one point that she did bring up, which is true, is that it is possible to have goals come out that you have literally no cards that apply to them because you're not dealing out the entire deck of Splito cards. And in fact, unless you have like eight players, unless you have like eight players. Yeah. Until you get up to the higher player counts, you might be dealing out like half the deck or less. So it is possible to end up with goals where you just it's literally not feasible to fulfill them and that and can you don't get a know that until you right. get yeah, in you don't, yeah exactly that can get a little frustrating but i just think that's an artifact of the type of game that it is and i'm kind of okay with that okay. yeah i agree so all right well why don't we take a very quick break and then when we come back we're going to talk all about sh s-a-h-m i can't say it <laughs> we're going to talk all about scott nicole and everything that they do we'll be right back Well, Anitra, it's time for an epic adventure, so let's get right to it. This is a snap review for Key to the Kingdom, an adventuring game created by Paul Bennett. 
Key to the Kingdom is a Restoration Games title. It was originally published in 1990. Then the team of Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett gave this game another turn and turned this into this, which came out last year. This new restored version is best for two to five players ages seven and up. So let's talk about the art in Key to the Kingdom. This is Andrew Bosley's art, and it is gorgeous, and it immediately transports you into this fantasy world. The board unfolds in this really cool way, and there are all kinds of creatures and adventures in it. Everything has a touch of silliness or whimsy, and it's fun to just look around on the board and flip through the cards. Every element of this game has been thought out. Even the rule book and the adventure atlas are full of little jokes and, of course, more beautiful art. So let's talk about the mechanics and how to play Key to the Kingdom. Well, Key to the Kingdom is still at its core the game it was 30 years ago, so this is a roll and move. Roll your die, move that number of spaces, and do what it says where you land. But there are a few twists along the way. Each player has a collection of items which can be exhausted to change your die rolls up or down depending on the number on the item. Every player also has a special ability, and that might affect your die rolls as well. Your goal in Key to the Kingdom is to collect three key pieces to unlock the passageway to the Demon King, and then finally defeat him. So how do you collect these pieces? Well, all along the board, there are different adventures. Once a player gets to a start spot, they need to fulfill the requirements of the specific adventure, and if they do, they get a piece of the key. These might be move from spot to spot with each roll higher than the next. That's the ice caves. Or there's the broken bridge where your results need to alternate between an even number and an odd number. I think the hardest is probably the living forest where you need to pick a result and then roll it. Of course, you can use items to change your results just like you can when moving around the board. There are also events on the board which might cause something to happen to you or give you companions if you can capture them along the way. The board also has spaces that allow you to refresh some of your items once you've used them. And don't forget the demon die spaces. Land on one of these and force a player to use the demon die, or take it yourself, with big highs and tiny lows as low as zero, instead of the basic D8 that everyone uses, numbered one through eight. Speaking of the board, the board itself is amazing. When the game starts, you can't find all the different colored key pieces. There aren't enough adventures for that. So you'll have to travel to the whirlpool, which opens up a whole different world inside the board. This is a super cool mechanic, and it has great table presence, and we really like it. Be the first player to get all three pieces of the key, travel to the Demon King's lair through the whirlpool, and defeat him. You are the winner. So, Andrew, what did we expect from this game? Well, this is a Restoration Games title, and I have full 100% confidence in the work that they do to make amazing games. In Restoration, we trust. Key to the Kingdom was a childhood favorite for so many people, and I was genuinely excited to hear that they were going to work on this and remake this so that we could enjoy it with our kids. And the box cover is a perfect picture of what you're going to get. You're an adventurer in a fantastic world that's more silly than scary. You have a cyclops with a snorkel. You have a unicorn that's leading a train of rubber duckies. You can't help but smile when you think about stuff like this. I knew absolutely nothing about the game. Really. (laughs) Once I saw the box, I expected it to be pretty kid-friendly and have some adventuring elements to it. Mm. But that leads to surprises. Sure. 
I was really surprised that this game is so simple at its heart. Roll your die, move. I guess I expected something a little bit more modern. The board is also huge. You're going to need a big table to be able to unfold it all the way, or you're going to need to play it on the floor. There wasn't actually a lot that actually surprised me. I will say the rule book for this game is fantastic. It seems like it's a little bit big when you pick it up, but it's so well laid out. It's not crowded. There's lots of space in it. Yeah. It's actually genuinely a pleasure to read. I mean, it's got little in-jokes, too, which is mm. great. I was also a little surprised that our kids felt that it ran long. When filling the board with five players, it will take close to two hours. It says 20 minutes per player on the box. So I guess I get that. But with this many players and so many Easter eggs across the board and on the cards, I think it's just important to set expectations about what your kids are going to get. I think it's probably best to start playing this at just two or three players so that your first play can be under an hour. Hmm. I also definitely think this is a game for entry-level gamers. You're not going to find deep strategy in this box, although I will say that the redesigners here did a good job of inserting choice with the items and some of the other pieces in this game. So, Anitra, do we recommend Key to the Kingdom? This game is great. It's bright and colorful, and it supports up to five players, even though it's fairly inexpensive. It has a simple roll-and-move mechanic, and everything that's more complex than that is really well explained. I think this is a great entry-level family game, perfect for a board gamer family to get out for a light game night, or to gift to less experienced gamers they know. I'd say it's especially good for kids between the ages of 7 to 12, but I think adults will enjoy the nostalgic flair there as well. And even if you're like an intro and you never played the original, this game feels a little bit like an old school game, so you're gonna feel that nostalgia even if you didn't play it before. It's true. So, Anitra, what are we going to rate Key to the Kingdom? We're going to give Key to the Kingdom four amazing adventures out of five. And that's Key to the Kingdom in a snap. And we're back. As a reminder, we are here with Scott and Nicole Brady. We are so thrilled to have you on the show. And uh, I will say the name of your site. <laughs> <laughs> it's S-A-H-M reviews, like stay-at-home mom. I'm a failure. I'm a failure. <laughs> I can't do I don't know. That's okay. I, I was typing that acronym out for a, a decade plus, yeah. so it's okay. All right. Okay, so we, we've talked on the show that we've been doing this for a while. It's 2023. We've been doing this for about eight years. But you guys started even longer ago than that. I think this says 2008 is when you guys got started. That's 15 years for those who are counting. Um, <laughs> wow, that's a lot. What uh, caused you to get into doing this? Because I say that we didn't really see anybody doing what we wanted to do, but you had been doing it for almost as long as we've now been doing it back in 2015. <laughs> so obviously I, I was a failure at that too. I can't, I probably the reason I can't say the name of the website is because I didn't know about it for a while, but what got you started doing this stuff, and uh, and what was what has this whole journey been like? Because it looks very different now than it did 15 years ago. Absolutely, it looks very different. So let me give you a little bit of props, though, because you might not have known about us way back when, because we weren't working in the board game space at the time, and we were dabbling in it a little bit, but not quite as heavily as we are now. Back then, well, I actually had a different blog that I was just writing about the kids and and the activities that they were in and the funny things that they said because they were 
itty bitty at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was at a time where word of mouth marketing was uh, really taking hold. And there were websites like BuzzAgent that were encouraging people to spread the word about their products, about their clients. And we'd gotten a, a lot of opportunities to try out some really cool products, you know, sometimes food, sometimes, you know, electronics. It was just a little across the board. And it eventually evolved into working with marketing agencies outside of the word of mouth space and promoting it on our website. And that was, like I said, back in 2007, 2008 was when I was first started writing. But it was, we've worked over the course of time, worked with companies like Disney and Netflix and Nintendo. It was the early years of the mom blog space. Mm, yep. And it was definitely a different experience. I'm seeing a lot of repeat now of people coming into the industry, you know, into the board game industry and really learning. It's not as easy as it looks. It's a lot of work. Whether you're creating podcasts like you guys are or videos or whether you're doing written, which most of our stuff is written and then we have some social also. But it's a lot of work. It's not just get products and play them and so along along the way we've covered everything from electronics to toys to food and we started working on board games and bringing in a different marketing tactic that was used in the mom blog space that the hobby game industry wasn't familiar with and they liked what we were doing and people kept asking us can you review our games too we started doing overviews for a little bit of everybody in the industry and, and then we kind of got hooked yeah so you know we were at one point you know, working solely with general market products and travel and things like that. And we were playing games as a family with our kids. And we had recently started going to a weekly game night locally just for something to do as a family. And we got talking, Nicole and I got talking about it. It's like, you know, we could probably add some of this content to our site even though it's not sponsored content, it's it's what we're doing. It's kind of the same thing as what you two are doing in that you're promoting using games with your children to foster better social ability, better uh, intellect, you know, or, or working on their logic skills or just using it as a hidden teaching tool. And that's kind of the angle we were going with. So I started writing a once a week article about games we were finding at thrift stores. And we'd pick up sequence or, you know, something that was traditionally more mass market that we were more familiar with at the time. And we would just write an article about, hey, we only paid $2 for this game, but it provided, you know, $3 worth of fun or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And that just became part of our calendar on the website, just so we had something different. So we weren't always talking about vacuum cleaners and headphones and and the latest soap to hit the market or something like that. And it was just a way to expand what we were writing about and something we wanted to write about. From there, I think the first company we started working with, rest in peace, was Tasty Minstrel Games. Well, and Smirk and Dagger was an early one too. Yeah, Smirk and Dagger was an early one because we had been going to Shytag, the Chicago Toy and Game Fair, because it was the toy companies. That was really what they were bringing in. So we were being invited in because we had that mass angle on toys. But it was nice to see games there. And we met some yeah. companies. We met Endless Games there. Mayfair. Mayfair. And uh, and, yeah, exactly. yeah, so yeah, this would have probably been uh, 2012, 2013, something like that, where we first started reviewing, giving overviews of 
newly issued games. And, you know, our angle was, you know, we, we had already built our market. You know, we weren't a new blogger saying, hey, would like to write about your games. I have 35 followers. <laughs> you know, at the time, we had already built the site to, you know, something like 150,000 unique users per month who were coming to visit the other stuff we were writing about. So it was an easy sell for us in the board game industry to say, hey, look, we've already got the market. Let's get your product in front of the moms age 25 to 45. Let's get your product, which would work for the family in front of this brand new audience, not the people in Gen Con's hall. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so for us, it was really, it was an easy sell. And at one point, I think we were working with over 100 different publishers talking about their games news announcements when they came out or full playthroughs and things like that. So it turned into, not because it was lucrative, but because it was fun for us to be involved in the board game industry, it became the primary content on our site. And and that coupled with the word of mouth marketing phenomenon and the mom, the mom blog phenomenon kind of peaked at one point. A lot of companies, a lot of bigger Fortune 500 companies gave up on it. So it was nice that we had a different industry to fall back on to replace those lost customers before. That is quite the journey. Uh yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it's been pretty neat because we've had some cool opportunities like walking the red carpet for like Captain America or visiting Pixar and you know, some really neat opportunities that they're not something you can buy. They're not something, you know, we weren't paid for the content. It was just an opportunity. And uh, our kids will probably never be able to experience Disney like, you know, normal kids, because every time we went, we were behind the scenes. <laughs> oh, well, sure. when we went to Disney, they actually had a, a separate entrance for invited guests and a whole VIP kind of that's behind all the things like an Epcot Center. Behind Epcot Center, there's all these large buildings that they have parties in that regular guests can't get to. Sure. So it was super cool to be able to, you know, kind of have that inside access and special passes that let you skip the line and all that. Uh, and and being at the park when it's closed. And being at the park when it's closed. Yeah. yeah. Well, we did that once, but we just had to pay a lot of money for it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of yeah. money. <laughs> so I mean, you said before that things have really kind of pivoted at this point to most of your coverage is board game related, but like still stay at home mom reviews and the board game coverage there isn't all that you do. So Nicole, you have a big fancy title in the board game space now. If <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about that. So, that is, we are still writing about other things, but a, a lot of uh, behind the scenes things are happening. I'm working with Gamma, which is the trade organization. I'm on the board of directors. Of the direct, I'm one of the two directors of the media and events group. Gamma is broken down into six different groups that cover different aspects of the industry. And like I said, it's a trade organization, so it's kind of you know where people go for information to learn to see what their you know new companies can come in and learn different ways of doing things. And uh, so I'm I'm actually enjoying seeing different aspects of the industry I hadn't seen before and having a voice in it talking about how media is impacted and how media can impact other parts of the industry. And I'm also the treasurer on the board of directors. So I stay pretty busy there. So I told you they were big fancy titles. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun with it though. All right. So if you, if you want anything out of Gamma, you got to go through Nicole. That's pretty much what I just, <laughs> what I just heard. That may be what you just heard. I, I don't think that's what I heard. I think it was what he said. Like, yeah. 
No, <laughs> I, I am going to say if you're if you're part of the industry and you want to be really involved in the industry, it's a great way to be involved in the industry, not just to to learn things, but also to make a difference. I mean, there's a lot of programs that people don't hear about, like the fellowship program, which is, you know, a mentorship program for people that need a little help getting started in the industry. It's for, it's like the DEI initiatives. And there's a lot of things going on that people just don't see. And I think that, you know, by being involved and volunteering, you really can make a difference where you probably didn't realize that you could. Hmm. And Nicole is not the only one who does other things in the board game industry. Because Scott is Scott, a force of nature that will not be denied. <laughs> Scott is a board game designer. Yes. <laughs> we absolutely loved your game, Boop. I mean, who doesn't love Boop? I mean, honestly, like it is impossible to not love that game. <laughs> well, I'm glad you say that because every day I check the BGG comments and there are people that don't like it. <laughs> They're wrong. They're wrong. <laughs> there, there are so many people that say it's a kid's game and I'm like, okay, it looks cute, but it is not a kid's game. Yeah. It's I mean, way it, too cut for it to be a kid's game. You can yeah. play it with kids, I guess. But I don't know. Anitra can attest. Boop lets out my inner savage because it's so cute that I can be truly awful to her and not get in trouble. <laughs> um, I I am ruthless in that game. I'm not saying necessarily that I'm good, but Anitra cannot beat me. <laughs> Gonna have to give Anitra some tips. No, I'm glad you feel that way. It's you know that was really the goal that we had when we published it was to take a type of game which is an abstract strategy that is intimidating to a lot of people. You know, they'll walk up on a checkerboard or a chessboard or whatever and, and just not feel like it's something that they want to play because with most abstract games, you know that you're going to lose the first time for sure, especially if you're playing against someone who knows the game or has played it a few times. And so by putting this theme on it that made sense with the mechanics, mm -hmm. it made it much more approachable. And, and kids love it just for the fact that they get the boop other cats. So it's, it's mm -hmm. approachable for them. But you're right. You know, the underlying strategy or strategy needed to be successful at it is one that's definitely suited for teenagers and above. Plus, it will remind you of the important life lesson that cats are jerks. Cats are jerks. Yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's the cats we have now, which we did not have when we reviewed the game, but the cats we have now would 100% jump <laughs> on the bed and push each other off. <laughs> Both of them would do that. However, I, our cats are also dumb, and I am going to ask Anitra if she can try to put a picture in the show notes. I don't know if it'll work for some... Some of the feeds are text only, but I know we can put it in the post on thefamilygamers.com. Yeah. You have to go there when this episode goes live, because... Our cat Felix is so dumb. <laughs> Anitra took a picture of this guy last wait night. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How, How dumb, dumb is he? he? <laughs> there <you go>. right. <laughs> right. He was standing up like a meerkat with his like front legs down at his sides. Yeah. He looked completely ridiculous. And you'll have to check out the post because I'm now asking Anitra to put, <laughs> put this picture. All right, I'm making myself a note to put that Unbelievable. in there. It was really weird. He was looking out the window and then all of a sudden he just like raised up on his hind legs and put his front legs <laughs> back and it just like like a post of a cat straight yeah, up and he, down. He, he was very, he's so dumb. Don't make a face. Our dog does the exact same thing. Okay, that's <laughs> this is the same cat where I was working at the, at the dining room table and I heard snoring and I turned over and looked and he was spread out on his back in the middle of the floor, passed out. He's very, he's very dumb, but also he's, he's a jerk. He, well, he also hates when our other cat Romeo gets attention. So if we're petting Romeo, Felix will come up and be like, um, 
hello, like, am I not the like most important thing in the world? Elbow him out of the way. Yeah, yeah just like Boop. <laughs> just like Boop. Just like Boop. So there you go. But Scott, Boop is not the only game that you've designed. Nor well, is it the only game that you have published. This is true. This is so, true. So my first game was Hughes and Cues, published by The Op, and that was a party game that unfortunately came out during the pandemic. <laughs> But that was uh, because it was already printed and manufactured and on its way to the U.S. when uh, it shut down. But it was fortunately the publisher found a way to market it online as an online game that could be played over Zoom. So it was welcomed pretty well at the time. And it's continued to sell really well even today. Yeah, that's a very, very approachable party game. It's a lot of fun. I think we actually played it with you over Zoom back during the so. I think so. Yeah, so maybe yeah, um, almost, almost certainly with Ken Franklin. Yeah. Probably also Chris Goodlett. Like, yep. <laughs> yeah. Sounds right. Yep, sounds about right. All right, awesome. So what's next? There's boo. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you got that right. You got the right number of bones in there too. <laughs> so what is that for those who don't? So this game that? comes out. Hopefully, at Gen Con, I just talked to the publisher today, and it's still 50-50 whether it's going to physically make it there in time or not. But it's kind of a reskin with something extra. So think of it as a new version of Boot with a mini expansion included. So this is a one-off publication for this year only. And we had so many people asking us about Boop. Well, when are you going to do Black Cats? When are you going to do White Cats? When are you going to do something? You know, they want their game to have cats that look like their cats that they had at home. So rather than just issue, you know, new sets or different color games that people had to decide which to purchase, this Halloween version, which it's really something that sells all year long. It's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the one holiday that people don't just honor on, you know, in October. So it's a Halloween-themed version of Boop, and the cats are uh, in costume. Uh, so there's one with a little witch's hat, and there's another one that's sitting inside a jack-o'-lantern, and, you know, just all the cuteness to it. Uh, the custom quilt that comes inside has been redesigned, you know, new pattern to it. And, of course, the bed itself has spider webs and all the accompanying decorations that go with that. And so it'll be out, like I said, hopefully at Gen Con. Um, It also includes this add-on that makes the game a little bit more chaotic, but also more strategic at the same time. Each player has a ghost cat that they control. By control, I mean they decide where it goes on the bed, and then after each turn, it floats across the bed, booping or scaring cats away. And the scaring is a new mechanic where it will actually cause some cats to leap over others. The interesting thing about this is because ghosts live in a different plane than you or I do, you know, they're in the ethereal plane or whatever you want to call it, ghosts in the game of Boo travel on the seams of the bed. Oh. So they don't occupy spaces on the bed. Instead of cats, they just glide along a particular seam and the player picks the seam, which they're going to float across and it moves off the bed until it falls off. Not only does it add some chaos that happens each turn, it's it's a predictable chaos. So you can use that strategically to your advantage, knowing that, okay, in three turns, the ghost is going to be in this position. Let me place my kitten here, my cat here, because I know he's going to get boop when that ghost eventually gets up there. So it does add this nice little layer that just ratchets up the strategy. Adds about five or ten minutes to the game overall. 
but really adds an extra level there in the middle of the game that we think is super interesting. That's really cool. Uh, I am looking forward to seeing that in person at some point. <laughs> Packs unplugged. That's probably our most likely bet. Probably. I, I now feel like there's got to be a market for like an Etsy store where they just they get a bunch of cat blanks and they'll yeah paint a cat blank to look yeah. like your cat. Painted like your cat. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Ten bucks. I'd probably pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There you go. Well, after that is there is another follow-up plan for late next year. It was going to come out this year, but we bumped it in uh, in lieu of boop. There is a version that is completed. Um, we're just working on the artwork and trying to define what the final pieces are going to look like. But it's the same general mechanic where you place a piece on the board and it boops things around it. It's played on a hex board this time, and you're building a robot. And there'll probably be some kind of cat robot that comes in three pieces, and it has like a number five-looking Pixar-ish type of robot that you're building. And it does some interesting things with dropping parts. And because it's on um, a hex board, any strategies that you've learned playing the original game on a square board are pretty much out the window because the hex board acts so, <laughs> so differently. Uh-huh. And so because that's robots, of course, the name is going to be Beep Boop. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that should be on next fall. <laughs> that's cool. I love that. All right. Let's see what else. So hopefully by Gen Con next year, I do have a game signed with Arcane Wonders. Ooh. That is a, a cooperative card game that uses inductive logic as its base. And and Ooh. what that means is, is you have to figure out something about the game before you can win the game. And in this case, the best example I can use is if you're playing Uno, you know that the next card you're going to play is either a matching color or matching number for the next valid card. Mm-hmm. But what if you were playing Uno and didn't know what the rules were? And didn't know what made the next valid card. And so this game, the prototype's called If Then, utilizes that, that the players have to figure out together what the rules of the game are before they can shed all their hands of cards, like Uno, you know, you try to get them all out of your hand. And so there's multiple variables on the card, and it might be, If an even number is played, then play a blue card. Or if an odd number is played, play a red card or something like that. So, But there's different levels of difficulty that may or may not create visual patterns, which are easy to see, but it definitely will create logical patterns. Hmm. And um, so expect that to be a a, a $20 card game coming out from Arcane Wonders by Gen Con next year. Sweet. Andrew, that sounds up uh, your yeah, in my it, alley. I'm, I'm trying to wrap my brain around this. So okay. how are the rules actually determined? Not figured out necessarily, but determined. So the rules are determined. There is one person who knows the answer. Okay. And okay. they act as an administrator to the game and answering the question. They will draw a card from a pile that says easy, medium, hard. And then that card will dictate the rules for the game. Okay. And there's like a hundred of these in the game. So there's a sure. ton of replayability. And their job is to correctly, when a player plays a card, to correctly answer whether or not that's a valid card. Sure. Okay. All right. That answers my question. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. I'm in for it. I'm down for that. Yeah. All right. 
I think that might actually be like a show. Like I think uh, I think we're getting close to time on this one. So let's see, Scott and Nicole, where can people find you and your stuff, Sam reviews and more on the internet? Like you said before, it's Sam reviews S A H M stands for stay at home mom. So samreviews.com, dot uh, Sam reviews on some social channels, Nicole Brady on others. And for information about my games and some of the game design progress on all the social channels, I'm at W. Scott Brady. Awesome. Anisha, do you want to tell people where they can find The Family Gamers? Of course. You can find us on our website, thefamilygamers.com. That the is very important. Don't forget it. (laughs) I tried to get the other one. It didn't work. Eh, These things happen. But you can find us on lots of social media at Family Gamers AA. Uh, We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok, we're on Threads, and we're also on YouTube, where you can find our weekly Snap reviews. Even though the podcast has gone bi-weekly, the reviews are still weekly. The written and the video are still weekly, so don't miss them. You can find all that stuff at Family Gamers AA on YouTube or the written stuff at thefamilygamers.com. You can also email us, Andrew, at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. And uh, hey, listen, we've been talking about conventions. Gen Con's coming up pretty soon. Then we've got PAX Unplugged is coming up after that. And then there's, of course, all these local conventions where you can support your Family Gamers merchandise. You can get all of that from thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Get yourself a Play Games with Your Kids t-shirt. Everybody will love it. We promise. It's true. And they're comfortable, so that helps. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you like it. Tell your friends about the podcast, and it's still helpful to leave us a review at Apple Podcast, sadly. Uh, <laughs> wow. I mean, come on. We, it is still by helpful. Way, by the way, on our next show, we will announce a contest for people who will leave us written reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts and the, um, like the Android podcast store that I can't remember the name of right now, the Google Podcast App Store or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So we will be announcing that on episode 352, so stay tuned. All right. Sounds good. You can also find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and by asking your smart speaker to play the Family Gamers podcast. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Thanks so much to First Move for sponsoring this episode of the show. Scott and Nicole, thank you so much for coming on. I really uh, am sincere when I say that I look up to both of you for different reasons. Uh, I'm really inspired by a lot of the work that you do and how you throw yourselves head on into all the stuff that's going on in the board game space. I think it's awesome. I think you guys are great. I I love interacting with you guys and catching up with you guys when I have the chance. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for inviting us. We've had a great time. It's always great to talk to the two of you. All right. And for everybody else, it's going to be two weeks. But until then, play games with your kids. kids.